Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. the dirt show i'm higher peaks and i'm lady sativa and this is episode six uh we are on six now uh this is gonna be a good one we worked hard this week uh we had fourth of july this weekend had lots of fun but i got a chance also to meet with jason wilson from kenevere research that's something we've been talking about and been promising for a while so i was excited to sit down with him so if you uh, hang on just a few minutes here we'll get to that uh, he had a chance to talk about um, pretty, I mean, we sat down and had a conversation mm-hmm. and uh, not anything specific, so to speak. We kind of just sat down and kind of let things flow. And some of the things we talked about were there's, you know, with cannabis research labs, testing facilities and such, there's been some contra not controversy, just some people aren't sure about how good the testing is and there's not very much regulation with it yet. And so there's just a lot of questions there. And he kind of addresses that. Also, too, he kind of briefs over the ECS, the cannabinoid system we keep uh, mentioning. And he also talks about CBDs and uh, some of the compounds that are present in cannabis and actually other foods and such. I was surprised to find out how many different kinds of CBDs are out there in different kinds of foods that we already eat. Nice. Um, and then also we kind of just briefly touch on, uh, the deficiencies deficiencies part where we've talked about this before as well, but, uh, <clears throat> that deficiency is also linked with, um, our, the regular food that we eat too. So and that's the canna- cannabinoid. Yeah. Deficiency. Yeah. The, the cannabinoids, there's so many of them, you know, he mentions that we just don't, we're starting to rethink how they, how we look at cannabinoids because they kind of cross so many different borders, you know, terpenes and uh, flavonoids, which you'll talk about are found in other foods, you know? Mm -hmm. So we've also noticed that they've also kind of depleted in certain foods. And again, he'll go through all that, but um, so to get there, let's go on. Uh, Let's talk about, you know, our show supporter, uh, Peacemaker Gear um, I've been liking mine. You know, it seems like me and you both have kind of switched over just to using it pretty much full time. Yeah. I enjoy the karma a lot more for the two of us. Yeah. The karma is nice. Uh, it's good for, uh, or either... as I like to call it, what is, what did I call it? What's that? I, I couldn't figure out the name for it. So I called it the kebab. <laughs> I think. Yeah. The kebab. Yeah. That's not what it is though. No, it's not. It's the karma. Yeah. The karma. But I forgot the name. Which is why is it so hard to remember the karma? I don't know. Yeah. But you can remember the kazili? <laughs> yes. For some reason. <laughs> and the quickie. And the quickie. But yeah. the... You can remember the quickie. Of course I that's can funny. remember the quickie. <laughs> 
So I like the Carmen too. Um, the Kazili is good, but that's literally that bowl is large enough. You could share with four or five people. That is like the camping. Yes. Bowl pipe. Well, you got Whatever. like 20 people sitting around a campfire like, hey, let's smoke a bowl. Yeah, and you could easily you fit could easily a pass large that enough bowl. Sure. Yeah. Maybe a couple times uh-huh. in, a, <laughs> in a circle. So, I mean, just so you can save on the size of bowl and have it smoke properly, we just prefer the Karma. And it's great. I use it in the garden and it works good just anywhere. It fits in my pocket real nice. And I really, really like that lid. Gosh, I honestly, I honestly Lid's use that a as a thing. snuffer. Use it as a snuffer, which is yes, perfect. So it doesn't and smash the bowl down. Yeah, it doesn't. And you don't waste anything doesn't, of the bowl. No. You actually smoke the entire yeah. thing until it's ash, and then you just empty it out. It's yeah. done. It's a good stuff. Uh, we had on our, <clears throat> we had already given away on two, uh, two contests um, last week, and we had one carryover. That was our email one. That was for the green set. And funny enough, <clears throat> I had a couple entries from Sean B and Short Dabs. Uh, they both were really, really interested. And I just, I don't know what to do there. I mean, like, do I draw that? Like 50-50 shot there? Or... <clears throat> so I wanted to talk to you. Maybe we could decide tomorrow. <laughs> I guess we could decide tomorrow or something. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll just... I'll take care of them both. We'll we'll see. We'll see. So we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, and we'll let you know. We'll get a hold of you. But um, I, I just wasn't sure, so I didn't. I left that open. Uh, so um, anything else? Did you want to talk about July Fourth? Was there anything there that worth mentioning? Not really. We had um, our karmas. You did go the day before July Fourth to out to the THC. Yeah, that was a great event. There yeah. was t- uh, a, a THC Talent Health Club was holding an event that was, uh, I guess, I don't know. They had a couple of they had some seed. It's uh, kind of like a block uh, party. Yeah, it was really and with their neighboring. It was for Maslow Project, which is uh, benefiting um, them, and so I guess they had a lot of fun and you know raised some money and. Had a good time. I went out there and got a chance to network. And here's one thing worth mentioning is not only did I get a chance to speak briefly with Hermetic uh, Genetic, basically Mongo Farms is um, that. And then also I talked to Stash Brothers, which is cool. Shout out to them. We're going to get a hold of them. They were really interested in sitting down with us. So I'd excited about that one. I am because I love their concentrates. I do too. Yeah, and the guys seemed really, really super cool. So sitting down with them will be nice. Um, but we did talk to Jaybird Farms. This guy is really cool, really, really uh, just a laid-back guy and uh, good vibes from the start. And he had some uh, uh, flour that he was uh essentially, I guess, promoting because mm-hmm. they were cheap, $5 grams. And um, they... F- way worth so much more they're um, enjoyable it was the uh better than your og so btyog which was my favorite uh, i liked it because i really felt it in my head it made july 4th really good <laughs> <clears throat> um but then we got girl scout cookies too of course and yeah you can't go wrong there and it was just strong it tasted like girl scout cookie and Looked really good. We did a little review and put it on Instagram. We like Girl Scout cookies better than brownies. Yeah, but you know I'm a really hardcore OG fan. 
anything that ends with OG usually is good. <laughs> and you like your Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue is good, yes, and it hasn't been overdone quite yet. Yeah. No, not yet. <clears throat> so that Even was though good. they're getting numbers now. <laughs> Gorilla Glue number four. Yeah. So shout out to uh, Jaybird Farms. You know, if you come across them, check them out. Way worth grabbing. And we had a good time talking to him. So, and again, another person that we're going to be sitting down with. Nice. Uh, I think they were seemed really interested, and I think it'd be just a great time with them too. So, all right. Well, with all that said, uh, how about we go right into that interview and hear what Jason has to say? Nice. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Welcome. We are here with Jason Wilson at Kenevere Research. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, so we just wanted to sit down with you and talk to you about uh, what you do and what Kenevere does. Uh, we know that you're a lab and laboratories right now with cannabis research is a, is a big thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we want to talk about, uh, you know, how Kenevere approaches that and what you guys do to uh, legitimize this business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Sure, yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm with Kinevere Research. We're a natural products laboratory located in Southern Oregon, specifically in Central Point. And um, we've been offering cannabis testing services since late 2013, early 2014. Um, now that was on the verge of when it was becoming legal, correct? As far as recreationally or? Right, I believe that was right around the time when uh, dispensaries were made legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Kinevere Research is comprised of a number of different uh, scientists that come from various backgrounds. Uh, we're led by Dr. Anthony Smith, um, who has a PhD in molecular and cellular biology with an emphasis on biochemistry, uh, nutrition, and metabolism. Um, he's our chief science officer now and actually um, leading uh, three labs throughout the state under the uh, company name Evio Labs. And then our laboratory director, Dr. Kimberly Ross, um, she has a PhD in um, molecular and cellular biology as well, I believe, um, with an emphasis on genetics. Okay. Um, so that's her background specifically. And then my background, I have a master's of science degree in science education. Okay. And so... Um, now, where did you get that degree? I uh, got that from Southern Oregon University. Okay, great. So you're definitely uh, <laughs> Oregon... <laughs> yeah. Oregon educated at least. Huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm good. I'm originally from Mississippi. Um, and so I started off at the University of Mississippi and even got uh, a little bit of time in there at the federal, the federal cannabis lab there that's mm -hmm. been operating since the um, 80s, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, Great. Did some IT work for them a little bit. And um, yeah, then eventually moved out here, went to grad school graduated, um, ended up meeting Dr. Smith, and mm -hmm. we went forward from there. Okay. And um, so my role here is um, I am the laboratory technologist, so I do a lot of work with our instrumentation and our quality control, but then I'm also our educational director as well and um, do a lot of public outreach and yeah. um education on not just cannabis and cannabinoid science topics, but natural products um, research in general. Okay. So, and let me add something to that. Uh, I 
you know, when I was looking at labs, one of the things that stuck out for me with you guys was that you're doing so much for the community. I mean, not only in just um, raising awareness, but you're actually educating. Yeah, I mean, it's a big passion of not just mine, but all of us here at Kinevere Research. Um, All of us have on some level some education or educator experience. Um, We've all worked as instructors or teachers at some point, and it's, I mean, science education in general is a critical need for the public um, now more than ever. Um, and especially uh, medical and health research and education is is critical. And so, you know, we started this lab and started doing this work with cannabis and quickly realized that um, there was no uh, good um, resource for the community to, mm-hmm. to learn more about the science of the plant and the compounds involved, how it affects the body and how it affects health and things like that. And you know, we kind of saw that we had the capability to step in and offer um, some of our exper- expertise to others. And we have a growing uh, network of mm-hmm. uh, researchers that work in a variety of natural products fields that contribute and, and help us with that mission. Yeah. And, and that's one thing about the community. And that's one thing that we want to share is that everybody is so willing to step up, do the extra work to share you know, the facts and, and what it's all about. And so I like that about you guys that you're sharing this information and, uh, which leads me to this in the past or in the recent past, even there's been some criticism. There's, yeah, yeah, there's been some people are like, okay, well, even in Colorado, since Colorado stepped up first, okay. Mm -hmm. They had labs step up first and they're testing and, and doing this. And now they're coming out with things where they're finding pesticides and right. other yeah. things. And people are like, oh, well, you know, this testing, is, is it really legit? Is there any guidelines? I mean, can you kind of walk us through that and tell us how you guys are trying to step up and do something different here? Yeah, well, um, so there's definitely a lot of skepticism that's yeah. uh, developed over time towards uh, cannabis testing labs. and. A lot of that is grounded in the fact that cannabis labs all sprung up with generally little to no oversight, um, not just in Oregon, but all over the country. And it, it's a different situation state to state, of course. But um, here in Oregon, uh, labor, uh, excuse me, dispensaries mm-hmm. were legalized several years ago, and then there was a requirement that all of these products be tested for some broad categories of contaminants. But there was no regulatory body overlooking these labs or anything like that. So all of a sudden you had, you know, 50 labs in the state that popped up um, very quickly. Um, Most of them, you couldn't really determine who was in charge, who was running the lab. Was it run by credentialed individuals or not? Mm -hmm. Are these scientists or these just people that had the money to start a lab and buy the equipment and things like that? And so um, there's been a lot of um, lackluster work done by a lot mm-hmm. of different labs over time. And now the state of Oregon has tried to address that by mandating that um, going forward after October 1, um, all labs testing cannabis materials will have to be registered and accredited with ORLAP, which is the Oregon Environmental Lab Accreditation Program. Now that's going to be the official uh, Oregon governing body? 
or is that something that they're appointing? I mean, how does that work? So ORLAP has been in existence for quite a while, working obviously with environmental labs. So these I are see. these are labs that typically are testing things like water ah, and I soil. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so that was a system that was just already in place. Okay. And so it was kind of um, easy to to turn to that body to to handle the accreditation of cannabis labs. The issue with that is that um, environmental labs are significantly different than quote unquote natural products labs okay. and the type of work they do. And um, ORLAP and environmental labs in general typically are not um, performing the same level of work. They're definitely not working with infused foods and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, if they're even working with um, biological materials like plants and, and things like that. Like I said, usually it's soil and water is the extent of of their work. And so um, there's been a uh, process over the past year of trying to figure out what this accreditation system is even going to look like for labs. I mean, there aren't okay. good reference methods for labs to use for testing a lot of, of these different types of cannabis materials. Sure. Um, on top of that, um, in order for labs to perform proper quality control measurements, you have to use what are called reference standards, sure. which are Absolutely. just pure chemicals yeah. representing what you're looking for. Sure. The problem with um, like cannabinoids, for instance, is that those obviously are under control by the DEA. and so. Ah. In order to get reference standards, it's not that you can't get reference standards, but the standards that labs have available to them are very low in potency. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a milligram per milliliter of fluid that you end up ordering. I see. Um, that makes it nearly impossible to get enough reference material to ah. do the level of quality control work that really needs to be done. And that's just a problem on the federal level that, yeah. you know, we just, in order for us to buy the amount of material we would need, it would be extraordinarily expensive sure. and we'd have to close our doors. And so yeah. that's an issue the whole lab industry is facing right now. And it's that issue itself is actually finally getting published in peer reviewed uh, research oh, papers, yeah. um, something that came out by uh, the AOAC at the end of 2015. It's a little validation paper for studying cannabinoids and um, plant materials and extracts. And uh, they actually pointed out, you know, it is literally impossible to do the level of quality control work that's needed to um, produce the same sorts of measurements that would be done for any other product when you're validating these hmm. methods and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And so what this means is that labs have to take it upon themselves to kind of develop their own reference materials to be able to perform regular QC work and things oh. like that. And so you're actually essentially developing your own, I mean, your own references and your own library, if you will. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's going to cause discrepancies amongst yeah. labs? If Definitely in the immediate future, yeah. for sure. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah. So what do you think is the future then? Is it something that's going to be standardized quickly, you think? Or I don't know about quickly, but definitely over time. Is it something time, we can rely on um, as growers and people that, you know, provide concentrates and medibles? And right. Stuff? Yeah. I think for flowers and extract materials, um, you can probably trust your lab. Yeah. Um, it's fairly straightforward to dial in that level of testing. 
When you get into infused products, however, um, I think it's important for the public to be somewhat educated on how labs have to perform some of this quality control work so that they can ask more probing questions and sort of get at, you know, well, what is your recovery efficiency for an infused cookie sure. versus a brownie versus a sure. pizza? Sure. You know, all these different things. Yeah. Now, and I want to point this out before we go any further is that Kenevere Research does do testing for the public, right? Right. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of, I don't know if it's confusion, I just maybe a lack of awareness, but I didn't know I could do that. And when you presented it in your um, at seminar, uh, it I was like, oh, great. So now I can go down there if I'm a, just a small provide for my family grower. Uh, I can go down there and, and find out what's going on with my stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's good because uh, with growers, uh, small, we, we promote home growing. And I think protecting that is good because it's providing your own medicine. You know, we don't have to go to a dispensary necessarily, which I'm not opposed to. I love going to dispensaries, but it's also nice to be able to grow just like you would a tomato. I go to the, to the store for a tomato. I also grow my own tomatoes. I don't take away from the, the, the grocery stores. I just add to my, my food supply. But it would be nice to be able to continue to grow for my family. And uh, in that sense, it's um, nice to know that I can come to you guys and, and know what I'm getting into. I mean, I already know what I'm putting into the soil and into the plant, but it's you nice assume. to know what the fun yeah, exactly. And it's nice to know what the final product is. Yeah. I mean, what if I want to also decide if I want to try something new? Right. You know, I want to know what, what the outcome is. So this is great. And I want people to know that you can come here as a public or as, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We not only work with businesses, but just the general public as well on, and not just um, with basic cannabis testing, okay. but we also offer um, a variety of consultancy services um, to help people dial in various processes. Um, we work with um, some clients on the level of just figuring out how to improve their own level of quality control, how to measure quality in their production processes and things like that. One, so that they're not surprised when they submit samples into the lab and get results that they weren't expecting. So I they see. can kind of measure those things themselves to an extent and control it. Um, you know, but then also just to be a kind of support system for these companies that, you know, are having to figure out a lot of different things in response to uh, new regulations, not just testing regulations, but, you know, regulations for how um, things have to happen on a procedural level. But we also want that same level of support to be available to the public as well. Yeah. Not just, um, you know, these companies. Sure. So now you said you were in, uh, you were guys were working with, is it EVI? Is it EVO? I, EVO? EVIO? Yeah, I, I pronounce uh, it EVIO, EVIO okay. Labs. Okay. I want to make sure I pronounce that yeah. right. Now, I think the nice thing with that, it sounds like there's going to be some standardization through that whole network, probably. Yeah. So to elaborate on that yeah, a little let's bit. Yeah, talk a little about that so we know what we're... For sure. Yeah. So like I mentioned briefly, um, we're a part of this uh, company called Evio Labs, which mm -hmm. is a network of labs across the state okay. of Oregon. Right now there's three of us. So we're kind of the Southern Oregon branch. And then we okay. have a lab in Bend and a mm -hmm. lab in Eugene as well. And our goal is to produce a standardized quality system among all the labs, standardized methods, mm -hmm. um, a standardized, um, you know, kind of customer service level, um, 
but then attempting to take that um, as far as it can go, really, um, okay. as we uh, grow and, and yeah. continue to expand and yeah. try to provide the public with an option of, you know, if you work within this network of labs, you know that you're going to get consistent yeah. services, consistent methods, yeah. and presumably consistent results. Um, right. Well, and that's kind of the general feeling that I got from when I was researching and read that. It was it seemed like that was the the goal. Um, can you please though talk about you haven't you've mentioned it briefly, but you've got a lot of stuff on your website. You've got educational resources. You've got stuff going on. Uh, I know I attended uh, the recent uh, seminar that you had uh, concerning the ECS, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, the endocannabinoid system. I really have to say that slow because I <laughs> I always want to say it wrong, but um, you guys talked about that and there was a lot of good information. So talk about that, tell the listeners what you guys are doing and what you're sharing and, and really how good this information is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, we have a great passion for public yeah. science education. And so, um, where we're at right now is we have a series of, we have a series of free seminars that are available throughout the year. They generally start around March and extend until October mm -hmm. here in Southern Oregon that are hosted through Southern Oregon University. Okay. And uh, these are free, open to the public, and cover... Nice. Oftentimes they touch on cannabis and cannabinoid science-related topics. Okay. Sometimes they get outside of that realm and focus sure. more on natural products. Yeah. Um, for instance, in October, I believe in October we'll be doing a seminar about mushrooms and... Uh, medicinal fungi and yeah, things like that. Yeah, well, and I think that, and that's good. I mean, I think that the community is still interested in those kind of things, mm -hmm. uh, especially the cannabis community. So I think that's still stuff that you guys, you know, it's good that you're bringing out. It still relates to the cannabis community, it, for yes, sure. And it's all interrelated. That's I what mean, I mean. The seminars really build on each other and um, the ECS talk um, in particular kind of points this, to this idea that yeah you know, cannabis was the start of discovering this physiological system and right. that the fact that it's connected to every mm -hmm. physiological process in your body. Um, but it's really led to a lot more than that and has gone a lot further than cannabis. And we're learning that a lot of different foods we eat influence yeah. this system. And, yeah. you know, um, one thing that's interesting, I just talked about mushrooms, you mm -hmm. know, black yeah. truffles actually have okay. um, anandamide in them. I'm oh, sure. nice. Yeah, um, one of the endocannabinoids sure. our bodies produce, sure. um, and so it is all interconnected. And you know, we we always harken back to this thing. And you know, it's really about natural product science, not cannabis science, because um, you know it's it's going to go much much further than cannabis. Mm -hmm. But cannabis is an exciting entry point into learning about all of these things. Right, and, right. And well, it's so concentrated, you know, yeah. in the plant. But let me ask you this: you know, you guys. Uh, do what do you think there's this whole new thing going on right now about how there may be a deficiency right yeah and i can see that because if we've outlawed cannabis and stuff and and we don't necessarily get it through a lot of food we get it through foods and stuff but i mean if we're not getting a lot of it i can see that being a legitimate thing i don't want to digress either but do you think that's something that we could be experiencing is some sort of maybe not getting enough well, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that consume cannabis. So. Right. Well, it, you know, it it goes really deep into this idea of how diet affects the endocannabinoid yeah. system because it's not just about the idea that we're no longer um, getting cannabinoids that we need, but it's more about the fact that 
our diets have changed in such yeah. a way that yeah. we're not really giving our bodies the um, the building materials it needs okay. to produce its own endocannabinoids I to see. deal with its own I problems. See. And so, yeah, what you're mentioning is uh, a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency yeah, yeah, yeah. proposed by Dr. Ethan Rousseau right, um, right. in the early exactly. 2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, what we're learning now are, you know, cannabinoids and then a lot of other compounds um, not only provide building blocks for these endocannabinoids, but they influence enzymes in our bodies that metabolize these compounds. Um, for instance, um, uh, a paper came out um, just earlier, I think last month maybe, about nutmeg extracts. Yeah, and, we saw that. That's a good one. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's yeah, it's crazy. really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the researchers found that a nutmeg extract actually inhibits uh, one enzyme, FAH, fatty right. acid amide hydrolase, which breaks down um, anandamide, but then it also temporarily inhibits this enzyme MAGL, which uh, metabolizes 2-AG. Um, 2-AG doesn't get talked about very much as an okay. endocannabinoid. Um, it's not quite as popular as anandamide, but it's um, more prevalent in the body, more potent, and um, finding foods that influence that endocannabinoid in particular, I find particularly interesting. Oh, okay. Um, it, so is that endocannabinoid, is that, a, it's an influential one, obviously? It, it yeah, I mean, it was discovered second, so it doesn't okay. have a fancy name like anandamide does. I see. Um, but it's turned out to be uh, more prevalent throughout the body oh, and okay. has more potent effects on cannabinoid receptors oh, okay. and things like that. And For health and right, all that? And yeah. yeah, exactly, okay. influencing the endocannabinoid yeah. system on yeah. a number of levels. And so um, it, we, we as in researchers yeah. globally have learned that a lot of foods um, inhibit FAAH and affects anandamide, but it's exciting to learn about this MAGL inhibition that's affecting 2-AG as well. I see. Yeah. Man, see, taking it to the next level. That's good (laughs) stuff, man. So, well, now that we're kind of leading that direction, do you want to give our listeners, like, you want to take it to that next level and talk a little bit about the the compounds and and kind of what makes that up? and give us an idea of what the profile is like? I mean, what, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, okay, so generally when we're investigating the the chemistry of the cannabis plant, we're usually talking about, you know, what's in the resins okay. of the plant. Mm-hmm. And when we look at that, we see that obviously there are a lot of these compounds that we call cannabinoids. Sure. Um, um, but then there are also compounds that um, more and more people are familiar with now called terpenes. Yeah. Um, terpenes generally are characterized as the compounds that provide the plant with its um, unique smells and flavors, and um, some research is suggesting that it even um, influences the uh, psychoactive effects of um, THC and things like that. Okay, let me stop you, not to interrupt you, but this is a good important point. One is that terpenes, now correct me, and anything I say, please correct me, but terpenes are in other foods. Oh yes. So yes. they dictate the flavor and smells of, of different foods and, and other things that grow and stuff like that. It's not just cannabis. Right. Okay. And like you mentioned, the terpenes we are seeing may influence the the profile or, or how it affects you. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh what I've noticed is that when you're buying concentrates and you're in a dispensary, part of the analytics of it is they do give you sometimes the terpene profile, or mm-hmm. at least part of it. 
And so is that beneficial? Are we going to learn something from that? I mean, that's tricky. Are, I know it's good to know. And I also know that some concentrates do express a good terpene fro profile mm -hmm. um, and some, some don't, but um, do you think that adds to the overall effect and is it important um, or is that just the, the sugar on the, or the cream of the, <laughs> the milk or whatever, you know, is that just the, the good stuff? Yeah, it's, you know, that's a really hard question to address because, you know, research has shown that definitely these compounds are important and definitely they influence the effects that the cannabinoids are having. Okay. Okay. But how that's happening and how to make sense of all of that in a way that could um, lead you to sort of predict a therapeutic response or anything sure, like that's that tough. is I know. Yeah. yeah is well beyond and that's what probably going to be today. yeah well and that's probably even in general that's going to be something that's going to be individual anyway I right mean, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. my strain is not going to be your strain so um, do you think that uh, how do I say this do you think that taking away the terpenes is take, I mean, so there's a lot of stuff like this stuff called clear and stuff where they fractionally distillate the product mm -hmm. and they take away whatever they want to take away and leave. Do you think that's, I mean, that's some, some that's really strong. doesn't taste like anything. Right. Is that still medically beneficial or it you depends know, on what's left in there? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all up to, you know, the individual and, and their relationship with, you know, their, uh, therapist or doctor, sure. whoever they're working okay. with, um, you know, some people anecdotally seem to um, really like products like that, and then other people very much are all about the um, what are they calling it these days? The full cannabis extracts that yeah. capture you sure. know sort of a true of a terpene profile, profile of sure. the original flower and, yeah. and things like Does that. Does it matter medically? Real quick, I'll just ask that. Does it matter medically if they have that whole profile, or are they trying to isolate things in? Well, I'll say that, you know, it's important enough that companies like GW Pharmaceuticals that have been doing um, actual clinical research trials on some of this stuff um, actually include uh, some terpenes in their pharmaceutical grade okay. products. Um, See, there you go. So definitely it is valuable. There is something and there. There is something there and, um, you know, they wouldn't be putting it in there if they felt like sure. you know, uh, they could get away with it without. Um, so. Like I said before, it's just the research isn't there for really understanding mm -hmm. why this stuff is working the way it does. I mean, on one level, we know, for instance, there's a um, terpene, well, a sesquiterpenoid. Um, so that term sesquiterpenoid just means it's a, uh, a terpene-like compound that has um, at least uh, 15 carbons in it, or has 15 carbons in it. Okay. Um, Beta-caryophylline is uh, common to a lot of plant oils. Um, okay. Particularly, it's in um, black pepper a mm -hmm. lot. Nice. Um, research has shown that... And this is a terpenoid? Yeah, like, this is a... Okay, yep. perfect. Um, it's been found that this terpene actually directly interacts with CB2 receptors. Mm -hmm. And so, um, on a very direct level, these terpenes actually are interacting with the endocannabinoid system, not just by manipulating um, other bodily processes to affect it, but... I mean, actually binding to these receptors and causing oh, responses just wow. like cannabinoids do. Nice. So beta-caryophylline, for instance, is sort of pushing this discussion of what is a cannabinoid because the 
the term cannabinoid comes from the cannabis plan and research sure. done with THC yeah. and all of this, but yeah. now we're realizing, oh, well, beta-carophylline directly interacts with CB2 receptors, with which, the system, which sure. would make you think that it's a cannabinoid. Yeah. And it's found in plant oils all throughout, you know, uh, oh, wow. plant life. And so... So are we benefiting from them already, do you think? Yeah. Those, those kind of plants? As for far sure. As, yeah. And, and uh, one interesting thing, I don't remember where I read this, but... Um, there's some research that's shown that corn over time um, has lost its tendency to produce large concentrations of beta-caryophylline. Ah. And there's sort of this growing idea of, you know, has our corn sort of become less healthy for a number of reasons. But sure, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Specifically, from, <laughs> specifically for that reason, mm -hmm. you know, it's like we know that we're getting less and less of some of these compounds that we know in the past we've gotten quite a bit from right. from our food and and so definitely i mean cb the cb2 receptor as we talked about yeah. in that seminar is yeah. tied in directly with the immune system as well mm -hmm. as neurons and other things and sure um you know the idea that our bodies are used to accustomed to receiving these compounds mm -hmm. and yeah. and that those are influencing our immune systems and now we're not really encountering those compounds yeah. as much i mean yeah. there's got to be some effects right. happening sure there. and that's the interesting part is as no matter how much you deny it uh you know if your body needs it i mean right. what <laughs> i don't know what argument there is there yeah yeah uh, but that's good so <clears throat> are those because we're talking about compounds are those the most prevalent compounds is what we've talked about or is there other parts of the profile that are worth mentioning Okay. Yeah, there's definitely another component we haven't talked about, and yeah. that's uh, flavonoids. Oh, okay. Um, so there's another type of of chemical that, um, once again, pretty much all plants make some sort of flavonoids. Okay. Um, so not not to stop you there, yeah. but uh, so are you saying that most plant life even is carrying all these kind of compounds in their own ways or their own mixtures? Yeah. Yes. Okay, and, and so this is common across the board. Yeah, and research is teaching us that... Um, and some of them even act like, you know, the, Yeah, they act or, like cannabinoids. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and terpenes and stuff, so... Mm -hmm. Right, and um, one reason why we don't know as much as we could is just, you know, no one has thought to put these compounds through the type of research to see if they bind to cannabinoid yeah, receptors right. or not. And so, so there could be a lot more out there. Yes. A lot more stuff we could even be researching. Right. That's yeah. Great. I mean, the future of research is very bright. Um, yeah. Like I said, not just for cannabis, but for all plants. That's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really exciting. And, um, you know, we're finding... You know, one, cannabis is not the only plant that makes cannabinoids. And um, this is good. There's a, f a flowering plant in South Africa that's really common mm -hmm. that actually produces um, CBG and CBGA. Oh, wow. Um, so cannabigerol and cannabigerolic yeah. acid. Okay. Um, which are, are, were thought to only be produced in the cannabis plant. Yeah. And it turns out that that plant produces it through a different uh, biosynthetic mechanism oh, than nice. cannabis does. And so yeah. we're learning that plants have other tricks up their sleeves to produce compounds that interact with our endocannabinoid systems and things uh, like that. And so it's almost a little a, tricky. It's almost an issue of perspective. Yeah. And it's like, how are we defining these terms cannabinoids? How are we defining, uh. you know, all of this stuff? Because how we define this stuff affects how we look at other plants yeah. and how we perform future research. Absolutely. Um, so that has me really That's excited. Great. Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. That's completely brand new to and, me. And there are, there are compounds that we're, 
noticing in, in other plants that um, turn out to be very structurally similar to a lot of cannabinoids okay. and things like uh -huh. that. And so there are other classes of chemicals that just haven't been investigated yet uh, wow. that probably interact with cannabinoid receptors directly. Yeah. Now, uh, and this is just conversation, but what's the future if we don't reschedule? I, I know this is political. I don't want to go into much to yeah, it. I'm just no. asking in terms of what's going to happen if we don't reschedule and what could happen if we do reschedule? Is that something that's good? Or, I mean, is it going to allow doors for like Kennedy Research to be able to do more? Or is the route we're going um, okay and it's going to open up enough doors that we can just continue the process? Yeah. Um, rescheduling could have a variety of different effects. And so we can start to answer that by saying, you know, the, the current state of cannabis research is if you want to do anything other than what's called like observational research yeah. where you let someone partake in whatever they're going to partake okay. in and you just watch them record what happens and things yeah. like mm -hmm. that um, or survey research uh, and things like that if you want to go into the realm of clinical trials yeah. and trying to really establish medical efficacy sure. for, for a lot of these different compounds oh, right now not only is the application process rather daunting and I'll give the federal government some credit that they've sure. been trying to address that yeah. issue and make yeah. it a little easier. Sure. Um, but even if you do get approved, the materials that you use in a trial right now have to come from one place, and that's right. the University of Mississippi, yes. which I'm that, well acquainted with. <laughs> Everybody, I think, is. Yeah. If you know the yeah. cannabis, it's. And, we all um, and there are some issues with that. Um, that's okay for some types of research, but. Sure. Very limiting, though. It is limited because, you know, a very good argument can be made that, well, the materials that get sourced from, yeah. from there are, are not representative of the sure. cannabis materials that the public's actually yeah. encountering on a day-to-day -day sure. basis yeah. in places like Oregon and California Well, and that's Colorado. the thing. I'm sure even if you look at n the natural environment, I mean, I don't know if they're growing indoors. I don't know the details, but I don't know if they're growing indoors or outdoors or both. But I'm sure there's environmental factors and oh, definitely. other things that change the profiles and how it is. And Yeah, I mean, there's some speculation. Um, so there's been some slight disagreement among chemical profiles of plants that have been grown out here in the arid west versus the very humid environment of Mississippi. And um, one report that I read... Um, said that um, in Mississippi they notice uh, slightly higher CBC levels for whatever oh. reason mm -hmm. in plants, whereas in the arid west, mm -hmm. um, CBC concentrations tend to be extremely low. Interesting. Um, we don't understand why that is. Yeah. Um, it's something that needs to be further investigated, but that's just one example. And in Mississippi, they do grow indoor and outdoor. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but it's tricky because their indoor grow operations, they can't let the plants flower without DEA approval. Oh. And so there are some issues there because, you know, what if the plants are ready to go to flower or they're getting root bound or something? And, you know, the researchers there just legally cannot let those plants go into flower. Yeah. And so the plants get kind of stressed out sure. and things like that. Well, it changes and, the whole thing. Right. Um, so there's some issues there. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, you know, that's sort of one issue that researchers want to see addressed is let us have access to cannabis materials 
you know, that are actually being cultivated out here that have THC and CBD concentrations that are more along the average of what yeah. people are encountering, whereas the materials that come from Mississippi a lot of times are, you know, somewhere between 5 and 7% THC, um, which out here, if you were to offer a seasoned cannabis user something that had 5 to 7% <laughs> THC, they would... They would just laugh uh, at you and send yeah, you on your way. Uh, I um, agree with yeah. That's not an organ thing. That's yeah, <laughs> I mean, at I the minimum, you yeah. would want double sure. that. Right, um, absolutely. Out here, so, um, so that's an issue. Um, trying to figure out, you know, how do we even make sense of some of the data that's been generated okay. based on these materials, sure. and is it? Can you extrapolate it to represent, you know, what's actually going on in places where cannabis use is being accepted? And yeah, you know. Um, that's wow that's just crazy and there's so many factors and you know with the whole testing and government and it seems like there's a long ways we have to go before we ever get any kind of across the board legitimate you know yeah it's research it's, answers whatever it's gonna be a while but um you know there are a lot of people all over the world that are yeah. ready and willing to there, there are people all over the world that are ready and willing to, you know, make this stuff happen. Um, we meet researchers, you know, seemingly, you know, almost every month or so that reach out to us that learn that, you know, we're doing what we're trying to do. And, and um, they kind of are on the, the same wavelength and trying to figure out how to collaborate. And um, so I have a lot of optimism for the future. And I think it will happen quickly if the some of the hindrances are, are removed to, to kind of give us the freedom to do that. And, you know, there are other issues at work too. I mean, for one thing, for instance, the endocannabinoid system is yeah. something that's generally not taught in medical school. Why, oh, gosh, why is no. that? You know, right. that's um, kind of insane in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so at the seminar, we talked about the fact that endocannabinoids fall into a class of compounds called eicosanoids, which okay. are um, generally compounds that influence inflammation and things like yeah. that. In medical school, they should be learning about endocannabinoids and the ECS when they learn about, you know, things like prostaglandins and all of these, and leukotrienes, these other compounds that they're already learning about that influence inflammatory conditions and things like that. But they're missing a huge piece of, the, of the puzzle. Sure. And, um, and then if a medical doctor even wanted to try to talk about this kind of stuff, they risk losing their medical sure. license. Yeah. So there are or a lot reputation of reputation and their anything. reputation. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot at play here that's sort of holding things back. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I see it changing every day and it's looking better every day, but yeah. yeah, definitely there's still a long way to go. For sure. And I think the education that you guys are bringing out and whoever else is out there trying to bring this out is good uh, because we need to know this stuff. You know, it, not half the people out there I know would know the depth of how important cannabinoids are and that they're available in just other plants. You know, there's not, we don't have to get it from, you know, necessarily marijuana, but we do have to study it and find out how we can use it and get it available. Um, do you want to talk more about what Kenevere is going towards for the future? I mean, are you guys, uh, obviously your education and stuff, but yeah. do you want to talk about what we're doing for the future? Sure. I mean, um, Definitely part of our future growth plan is mm -hmm. trying to um, look into 
how best to approach cannabis-infused products for testing to right. try to You'd mention that. get some yep. standardized methods um, for that kind of thing. And then uh, beyond that sort of thing, definitely the education side we plan on on expanding quite a bit. We're trying to find ways of uh, collaborating with groups that can offer uh, continuing medical education credits mm-hmm. um, to doctors and things like that so that we can actually... Um, provide, you know, a sort of accredited um, source for doctors to learn about uh, cannabis and cannabinoid science and things like that. And then on the research side of things, you know, we've been building a portfolio of um, research proposals and things like that. And we're just basically waiting for opportunities to arise to press play on all of that. Um, Some of that is, um, you know, some regulatory stuff has to change. And then some of it just has to do with resources here as far as funding and things like that goes. Um, one promising thing is, uh, so our chief science officer, Dr. Mm-hmm. Anthony Smith, was yeah. on the um, recent uh, Oregon governor's appointed task force okay. for yeah, investigating mm-hmm. the yeah the medical and public health effects of cannabis. And part of that task force's recommendation to the state was to establish a... Um, a research institute within the state so that we can try to press forward the best way we can. And um, so we definitely anticipate, you know, on some level being involved with that and, um, you know, trying to help Oregon, you know, take its place in um, cannabis research and cannabinoid research. I mean, it's perfectly positioned to be a leader, not even just nationally, but internationally. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Oh yeah, and we got the the climate for it, and yeah, right, or, yeah, or the 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 type of state need that we have is good for that kind of stuff. Um, so um, the future of of Kenavir is is going that way. Um, do you are you going to still stay uh, working with the public? And, yes, yeah, definitely. And growers and yeah, okay. I mean that's that's very important to us to always have ourselves be accessible to the public. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And do you have um, anything more you want to share about the chemistry? I mean, because we, we talked about... We didn't quite get into the flavonoid uh, That's right. Stuff. That's right. That's, um, I knew there was something we didn't touch on at the end there. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I love talking about flavonoids just because they're generally ignored. Yeah. Um, well, it's not something you test for. No, it's not. And <laughs> there aren't really any good established methods for testing for them in cannabis. But it turns out that cannabis produces at least three unique flavonoids that don't seem to be produced in other plants, right, as far as we know. At all? Anywhere? Not that we know so far, but of course we thought that about CBG as well. Um, But uh, so these are called the the canflavins or canaflavins. Sometimes you'll see them, and generally they're called canflavin A, B, and C. Interesting. and um, they resemble, um, so some people may be familiar with a compound called uh, camphorol. Um, it's a common flavonoid, but anyway, these compounds are sort of similar in structure to camphorol. They, flavonoids oftentimes are... Uh, no, that's not the camphorol, like the ana, the little stuff you put on a wound or anything, right? The, I'm not like sure. Cam- okay, never mind. Go ahead. Um, but so flavonoids tend to be pigment compounds okay. in plants. And so when you see things like purples and blues and pinks mm-hmm. oh, okay. um, and even um, certain yellows and bright greens, um, a lot of times those are produced by flavonoids. Interesting. And flavonoids um, traditionally have been known as very potent um, anti-inflammatory compounds. Um, 
so there's more and more interest. Do they have flavor? Because <laughs> well, they call them flavor, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, so what's the what, what's the link there? That comes from um, just the class of compounds. So uh, you've got isoflavones and flavanols and okay. all these things, and okay. they're all umbrellaed under gotcha. the okay. flavonoid group. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so there are definitely some unique compounds in cannabis that are in this class of compounds that haven't been really researched very much at all. I mean, their anti-inflammatory properties have been looked at a little bit. Um, Companies have sort of thought, well, it's pretty potent, but we have other pharmaceuticals that are a little more potent, so we don't really need to investigate them as a pharmaceutical um, thing. But I'm really interested to know what kind of effects they have in this sort of full plant extract scenario when we're trying to capture as much of the chemistry of the plant as possible in an extract and seeing how that in, uh, how that affects uh, medical conditions and things like that. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to see some research that has, um, you know, that works with materials that have flavonoids and then some that are devoid just to see um, what kinds of effects they may have. And, you know, all in all, I mean, between the cannabinoids and the terpenes and the flavonoids, you just have all of this... Um, immune system modulation happening um, that I think is very important to explore. Yeah, well, and there's so many factors there. It seems really hard unless you isolate some of those things to really find out what's going on or what's right. affecting what or and if it's all affecting yeah, you know, and all a teamwork effort there. Yeah, or, and when you isolate things individually, sometimes you tend to think they don't do anything. Right. And so that's sort of been the generation of this concept of the entourage effect is the idea that you know, you can isolate compounds and perform cell culture studies and things on them and come to the conclusion that they essentially don't really seem to do much of anything. But then when you combine them with particular other compounds, they have very sudden, potent effects yeah. that wouldn't be there if that compound weren't there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the research is tricky because... Um, up until now, it's been very popular to do this kind of, okay, we are trying to hunt down what is the target compound and let's isolate it and yeah. do these cell culture studies to see what they affect. And cannabis has taught us that that doesn't always work. And it's kind of a limited perspective to, to take that approach. Yeah. Do you think those flavonoids are, I mean, is so their benefit is, is all medicinal or does it add to the to some profile of the if it's cannabis, if it's, I mean, is there... As far as I'm aware, they don't... It's just a medicinal They, they don't seem to contribute to anything you would enjoy in a yeah. cannabis product sure. necessarily. Yeah. Like, okay. I don't think they really have much effect on but the flavor profile. But it is unique to the, to the cannabis. Some so of them far. Are. Some of them are, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there anything else that you can talk about with the compounds that um, is unique or... Um, well, one thing that doesn't get a lot of attention is the distinction between the cannabinoid acids and the quote-unquote decarboxylated yeah, cannabinoids. Yeah, a big one now. Yeah, and so I think it'd be worth touching on that let's very, do that very because, briefly. Yeah, let's do that because, yeah, no, we got time. Sure. Uh, um, you know, so the, the cannabis plant itself does not actually synthesize THC, and that sounds like a kind of bizarre statement to make. Sure. Like, what do you mean? Like, why is this plant then 19% THC? <laughs> And, like, and that's a big one for people to yeah. sit there and show them a percentage, which really is. 
yeah it's, it can be confusing yeah. and so what's what's happening is um so there are two two parts to this and we'll come around to sure. both um so the first part is that when the plant is producing cannabinoids it produces cannabinoid acids and what that means is that these are cannabinoids that have a little molecule attached to them yep. called a carboxylic acid, yep. which is essentially just a CO2 molecule. Okay. And um, until the those chemicals undergo heat or some other energy input, mm-hmm. um, theoretically it could be, um, you know, potentially UV radiation or oh, something okay. that could cause um, spontaneous uh, decarboxylation. But whenever these chemicals undergo enough energy, that CO2 molecule will pop off, mm-hmm. and then you're left with your traditional cannabinoids like THC or CBD. Nice. Um, and so when you're smoking cannabis, um, you're pretty much decarboxylating everything when you expose the plant material to a flame. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when now you. Now, are you destroying a lot too? Yes. I mean, so because yeah. interesting enough, I've had where I bought a product where it'll tell me um, what the interesting enough. I don't know if it's real, but it'll say, you know, what the THC is before it's combusted mm-hmm. and then what it is after. And it's it's lower. Right. So and I'm assuming you're destroying some some stuff. Well, <clears throat> part of that may be. And this gets to the second point with how cannabinoid results are displayed on products. So. Um, at least in Oregon, there's a rule that the quote-unquote total or maximum uh, THC has to be reported. Yeah. And what that result is is a combination of THCA and THC. It's important to note that that's not a strict um, addition. You don't just add, oh, we've got you know 14% THCA and 2% THC. You don't just add those numbers together to get that total. There's actually a formula you have to use to to get to that. Um, and the reason for that is because when THCA is decarboxylated, when you lose those CO2 molecules, the weight decreases. Uh-huh. Um, and so to add those two numbers together, saying you know the total potential THC mm-hmm. is, in this instance, if it's 15% THCA and 2% THC to say it's 17%, well, that's incredibly inaccurate. That's an overestimation yeah. because that doesn't account for the loss of weight from all mm-hmm. of the carbon dioxide leaving. Yeah. Um, and so I, I assume that a situation like you're referring to where you see a total THC and then a sort of total after um, exposure, Decarb- I yeah, assume I that is just a... Uh, they're just applying that decarboxylation True. correction. Yeah. So that's yeah. referencing not the destruction of THC, oh, but okay. just the loss of weight from oh, I see. the decarboxylation okay. of THCA. I see. Um, but that's tricky for people to understand. And in other states yeah. where that's not regulated, um, sometimes you see these really extraordinary potency numbers on flowers that don't seem to make sense. Yeah, um, for sure. For instance, seeing... Uh, Anything close to 30% is generally not common and ah, pretty hard to obtain. No, I got you. Above 30% is very, very rare, of, if yeah. not impossible. Yeah. And so this was an issue when cannabis laboratories first came on the market because a lot of them were not applying 
decarboxylation corrections. And so you saw lots of 32 percenters, 35 ah, percenters, gotcha. 29 percenters all over the place. And people um, started to believe that that was accurate and Standard, that that was yeah. average. Mm -hmm. And why can't I get 30 percent? <laughs> sure. And then when you started applying these corrections, all of a sudden those numbers started dropping down to the mid to high 20s. And um, there were several things that happened. Um, one that sort of um, built upon the skepticism that people had towards labs were like, what are you doing different now? Why are the numbers dropping? Right. And so people had to explain that. Um, I will say that we've always applied that decarboxylation correction. Okay. And, okay. and you, in the, the correction, it's a lot of times purported to be a formula taken from a research paper. And while it is, um, anyone can calculate what that correction factor should be. Okay. All you have to do is Google the uh, molecular weight of THC and the mm. molecular weight of THCA okay. and divide them, and you'll figure out you know, what percentage of THCA is THC. Sure, yeah, sort standard. Of. And it comes yeah. out to be around 87.7%. Oh, wow. And so um, that's the correction factor we're looking at. I see. Um, when you see a THCA number and you want to know what the total potential THC is, think, okay, take about 88% of that, and, and that's what you'll have. Okay, so let's be clear for the listeners. THCA is what it is before it's decarboxylated. Right, yep. And then once it's decarbed in whatever manner, it becomes THC. Right. Okay, now there's other forms of THC? Yes, there's-, there's Do a they change? Yes, they all they all will change. So I think there are approximately and 25 different forms of THC. That's why. Okay. Okay. And so all those forms are inactive in. No, us not necessarily. They're uh, decarbed. Because um, you can't just eat marijuana and just have it all of a sudden work for you. Right. Yeah. So when I mentioned there are about 25 different yeah. forms of THC, most of those are isomers of the decarboxylated THC, yeah. meaning, you know, like you have the result of. You have your left hand and right hand, and essentially they're the same, but they're mirror images. Yeah. Molecules can be the exact same okay. way. Okay, okay. And so you can have all of these different variations of yeah. molecules just based on that on that type of, of scenario. Okay, okay. Um, so there are um, a few different um, sort of THC acids, um, but then most of those other forms of THC are... Um, different forms of sort of the degradation products of THCA. So mm -hmm. THC, there's a delta-8 THC. Yep. Uh, we're most commonly familiar with delta-9 delta THC. Mm -hmm. There is a delta-8. Um, some people are familiar with CBN, cannabinol, mm -hmm. which is also a, a degradation product of THC and is very, very similar to THC. Um, Do you I, think these are worth mentioning on the analytic part of it? Or is that Some, to the consumer? I'm not talking about to a necessarily yeah. a grower or someone who wants the complete profile. But I mean, are, are these things that might interest well, uh, the end user? A lot of them are in such low concentrations ah. naturally that mm -hmm. any information you could get about them would probably not be very useful. useful. And because they're in such low concentrations, it's very difficult for a lab to even confidently quantify them. Okay. Um, that doesn't make them make it not important to know that they're there or not. Sure. Um, but it just limits the you know utility of having that information. Mm. Um, 
But for instance, on our current cannabinoid panel, and I'm sure it will change as time goes on, but right now we're reporting um, THCA, THC, CBDA, CBD, Mm -hmm. and then as well we're reporting CBC, CBG, CBN. Um, I think that's it for now. Um, One of our labs also does some work with um, THCV. Um, THCV and then there's also CBDV. Um, when you see that V, that refers to a class of cannabinoids called the, uh, you could call them the divarinic cannabinoids. They just go through a different uh, biosynthetic pathway mm-hmm. in the plant. And basically they are just like their counterparts, like THCV is pretty much exactly like THC. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the molecule on THC, there's a... Um, there's a little chain of carbons that comes okay. off of it. Yeah. In the divarinic cannabinoids, that chain is about half as long. And that's okay. really the only difference. But it changes how it affects the body, but it also changes um, how our analytical equipment picks up on it. And um, those compounds are tricky to quantify simply because they can easily mimic terpenes. Because I see. they're similar in weight and similar in structure and things but like that. But worth looking at? But very worth looking at, yeah. yeah. So we anticipate getting THCV and CBDV added into our panels very soon. Interesting. And those may just end up being um, um, kind of um, special services that we'll offer um, in addition to our basic panel just because there'll be different methods and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think, uh, do you guys test, I mean, this is, I, we just keep talking about cannabis, but I mean, do you guys test other things? Is, is that something that's... Good? Traditionally, we do. It's, oh, okay. it's been a little while because we've been so inundated <laughs> with <Oregon>. cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, our, our team, like I said, come from different backgrounds sure. and um, we're very interested in other plants and have done work on other materials in the past and particularly... Um, I think Dr. Smith's expertise has been on things like vitamin C and um, uh, those those types of compounds and natural products. Um, I know he's done some work with things like echinacea and oh, okay. um, you know kind of common medicinal yeah. herbs like that. Yeah. Um, so definitely, we're interested. We anticipate once we have the resources to pick that kind of stuff up again. And every now and then, we get um, consulting projects that'll come along that'll be you know beyond sure. cannabis. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, um, as far as, okay, so you got education and you've got um, the events that you put on, the seminars and stuff, and you've got uh, uh, the, the research lab, of yeah. course. Uh, is there anything else you guys are looking? I well, mean, that's a lot. I mean, I know you guys are doing a ton. <laughs> I was just, you know, just wondering if there's anything else that you guys are looking at doing um, other than just, just uh, bringing this knowledge out for the people. Sure, yeah. Um, I can point out some of our events that are coming up yeah, in the that. immediate future. Yeah. Um, so on the education side, um, I mentioned our free seminars that we do, but then yeah. we also do hands-on workshops here at the lab okay. to teach people how to test cannabis flowers and concentrates for potency at home. Nice. And um, we've had a really good response to those workshops okay. and people are figuring out how to use uh, this technology in a variety of different ways. Um, but we have a couple of those workshops coming up, um, one on July 25th and then another on August 29th. And basically, um, attendees that come to those, they sign up, they receive a, 
a kit that gives them all of the materials they need to test. I think it's up to 20 or 25 um, samples before they have to buy refills and things like that. And And this is something that a home cannabis grower could use? Like if I'm growing my four plants and... Yeah, and that's... You know, I want to know what I'm looking at. I can... Yeah, and that's what we really encourage it for. It's not... The technology is not really appropriate for high-level quantitative work, but it's great for qualitative estimates. Oh, yeah. So, you know... Well, it's nice to know what you... Right. At least around about what you got, you know, right. and producing if you, in your little... If you're a home grower yeah. and you're wanting to play around mm-hmm. with a lot of different strains sure, or something yeah. and you don't want to pay a lab, you know, all the money that it would right. take to, to do all that work. To do that um, work, yeah. You can definitely do it yourself. Um, one way that people are using the technology is just um, tracking their plants through the growth cycle. Oh, and nice. So starting in the last month or so, doing tests every now and then to see ah. when does the THC plateau. There you go. So that they know they can go ahead and harvest and nice. you know, not so now we're talking. Anything. Yeah, now we're talking actually something we can uh, implement in the growth cycle. Exactly, yeah. And it, maximize our content. Yep. You know? And it can be a quality control um, ah, very thing nice. too if you're trying to yeah. kind of hit the same mark every time, sure. well, you can kind of dial that process in by integrating um, this technology with your sort of QC lab in your own yeah. production. And so um, we offer these workshops through a partnership with a Southern Oregon company that okay. um, sells um, these lab supplies mm-hmm. to people all over the world. And so we've been really fortunate to develop that relationship and be able to, to do these workshops and give people, I mean, you could go online and buy these kinds of kits on okay. your own okay. anytime, but what people have found is when they do that, they get inconsistent results. They don't mm-hmm. quite understand what they're doing or why things work the way they do, and it just helps people a lot to be able to sit down with a professional and ask questions and go through everything and um you know, have someone telling you, you know, okay, here's what you really need to pay attention to. This sure. will affect your results. Yeah. Um, here's how to do really precise um, mm. volume measurements and um, even just some basic lab safety. Like, you know, some of these dyes, you don't want to inhale the fumes. Like, yeah. you know, well, it's yeah, just yeah, some, yeah, you yeah. know, real basic stuff. <laughs> um, and so uh, people seem to really appreciate having that opportunity to do that. And so we encourage anyone interested on in trying to integrate a sort of uh, QC lab into their grow operation or okay. their concentrate production operation yeah. to think about um, taking one of those workshops and yeah. seeing if it's something that'll work for them. Um, and well, like you said, they can implement it in quality control. Yeah. You know, it's a guideline too. So if, if you get in, it's not as, as tight as taking it to a lab, but if you know kind of where you're at, if you want to take it to the next step, that right. then, then that's your option. You right. can then take it to the lab and say, hey, what's... And it, it helps you weed out material yeah. that you don't want to keep around. Um, or maybe change your mind on what you want to do with it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's it's common for uh, cultivators that are trying to grow CBD crops in particular yep. to have unfortunate surprises in their crops sure. of, oh, these actually are high THC. <laughs> when I was told by the breeder they would be high CBD. Sure. And sure. So being able to check that kind of stuff out before yeah. it gets to the yeah. lab is yeah. important for people. Do you think that's a, I don't want to die there, but is that a phenotype? You think that just because it's like, it just, it's the same strain, but it's just a variance of it that it might have some. Well, um, it's, that goes into 
genotypes and chemotypes. Um, so phenotypes are talked about a lot in the, in the cannabis world, and the phenotype of a plant is sort of its physical expression. Um, its genotype would be the expression of its genes, and then the chemotype would be the expression of the actual oh, compounds. Gotcha. And so among seemingly the same phenotype, you could have varying chemotypes. Interesting. Yeah. And there you go. Next level. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, part of this has to do with just natural genetic expression in okay. these plant populations that, you know, sometimes they're not stable high CBD plants and sometimes they will express, you know, a one-to-one ratio or a, or a THC, high THC ratio or something like that. And then other times it's just a problem with mislabeling, honestly. Oh, yeah. And there's a huge oh, problem with mislabeling. I of, can imagine. Of plants and strain names. And oh, yeah. That's a discussion for another that's episode. A, oh, for the sure. The whole thing with yeah. strains and yeah. what's going on with oh, that. Oh, for but, sure. Well, at least we're getting along with that, though. They're able to actually look at genes now. And, right, yeah. And actually find a legitimate... I mean, a company in Northern Oregon, Phylos Bioscience, Mm -hmm. um, on 420 this year, they published a um, free, available to the public, um, explorable map of the genetic work they've been doing with a lot of different strains. And so what they had been doing is taking in different strains, um, sequencing their genomes, and plotting their relationships on a map. So you can actually see... um, what strains kind of group together and mm-hmm. are similar genetically. And yeah. what's really interesting about that map, and I encourage listeners to to look it up if you just Google, um, I think if you just Google Phylos Galaxies, that's P-H-Y-L-O-S Galaxy, you'll okay. end up finding the link to that. Sure. You can search for different strains and things, and you'll see the mislabeling that uh, exists. You'll see yeah. these groups of strains that are very similar genetically, yeah. and then all these outliers. Yeah. And, you know, these things that were called ACDC, but no one really knew what it was, <laughs> no, and they just slapped yeah. a name on it. Oh, I'm sure that happened for quite a long time, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it still does, probably, but I mean, it before, I mean, gosh, you could grow anything and call it something and right. put it out there. And, and it's a knows? selling point. I mean, oh, yeah. what you call something influences whether people will buy it. And oh, yeah. As long as that's a factor, it's going to really <laughs> skew the data set. It's like a brand. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is. It very much is. Uh, so how do people tell people how they can get connected with that, you know, that getting hooked up with testing their own stuff? How, how do they yeah. get hooked up with you guys so they can learn about this stuff so they can get involved? Tell us all about that. So, um, the best way to do that would be to just go to our website, uh-huh. uh, com, okay. And I recognize that Kinevere is not a word that most people have ever heard before. And so to spell that out, it's yeah. just K-E-N-E-V-I-R, research.com. And then on social media, you can find us um, pretty much, I think, always with the the tag Kinevere Research. Um, and there you can find information about all of our events that are coming up, and um, you can request more information or get registered that way. Um, one thing I didn't mention mm-hmm. Uh, was that on top of the workshops, we also have uh, month-long classes that we offer to people that are fairly intensive. They tend to run about five weeks per session. And these are actual opportunities to have sort of um, a classroom cannabis education experience. And we specifically don't talk about cultivation, really, Mm because we feel like there's 
there are plenty of resources about sure. how to grow and, mm-hmm. and the botany of the plant and all of that. But these classes go much more into um, the science of everything and um, the health and medical implications and things okay. like that. And so these um, these courses, they're called uh, the Concepts of Cannabis Science Series. Okay. And right now there are two parts to them. And so if you wanted to take both of them, it'd be about a almost a two and a half month long commitment. Um, now, do they run in succession? So you take one, uh, stop, not necessarily. Take it's like the semester in college. <laughs> They're similar. You, you definitely can. Uh, so we have a concepts of cannabis science one class coming yep. up in August, and okay. then we have a concepts two class in September. Great. And so you could okay. do them side by side, but sure. you don't have to. Um, and a lot of people don't take them side by side. They do one, and then you know a few months later do okay. the other one. Okay. Um, but these classes are made to be fairly intensive. They're actually graded. Um, so mm-hmm. we offer uh, certificates of completion to individuals that can get Great. a 75% or better in the nice. class. And these certificates um, not only are issued by Kinevere Research, but they're authorized by a local nonprofit group here called the Health Research Institute. Okay. That is a um, group of clinicians and researchers mm-hmm. dedicated to horticultural and medical research. And they've just kind of put their stamp of approval on the curriculum and nice. things like that. And it's our way of trying to give people a starting point to show that, you know, they've taken this effort to learn more and educate themselves and sort of increase their, their own understanding of all this stuff. Um, you, not only for their own benefit, but for resumes and things like that, sure. if they will find it helpful. Yeah. Um, and um, in these classes, so we meet, once a week for about four hours in a classroom setting. Okay. And then the rest is online until we meet again the following week. Um, uh, learners that attend end up getting a textbook that we've written. It's about a 200-page textbook that you currently cannot get any other way other okay. than taking the class. Um, nice. Uh, we hope to eventually get it published. That's like a reference, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And we hope to eventually get it published and made publicly available, okay. but it's probably going to be another year or so sure. before that ever mm-hmm. happens. Um and um, on top of that, you end up getting a lot of different um, resources throughout the class. We try to really teach people not only some basic trivial knowledge about cannabis science, but how to go out and find um, information that is actually valuable and legitimate. And so a big part of these classes is teaching you how to decipher among amongst all of the information that's out there and how to recognize peer-reviewed research papers. and how even if you're not a scientist, how to find information in these papers that's meaningful um, nice. and how to understand that. And so it's our hope that if you go through the classes, when you come out the other side, you'll be able to find information and be a resource to others. And that's really the the key part of that sure. is, you know, turning people around so that they can be community resources as well. Yeah, um, yeah. that's and, great. And once again, um, information about those classes are on the website. Okay. Okay. Well, and it's easy. You know, I, I got on my phone on com, and it's just, you scroll down. Yeah. And you'll run right into them and you can't miss them. So, and there's a lot of great info there. I looked at, when I was finding you guys, I went through all those tabs and it was a lot of good info. So that's great. Um, is there anything else? I mean, I think we've covered quite a bit today. We're, we're out at an hour and 10. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's... No, it's been great. It's been very yeah. enjoyable. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you too. Um, you guys have a ton of information to offer. So any of our listens, listeners, it's uh, 
kenevirresearch.com, K-E-N-E-V-I-R research.com. Um, you can scroll right down and you'll find everything there. They've got what the classes, you've, you've got seminars coming. I think you got one in July here coming yeah. up for the herb. The it's, um, Yeah, it's worth plugging that. Our, yeah. next, our next free seminar. We're going to be there. I mean, I know it's not directly related, but it, it's related. It's So uh, we're going to be the there. The focus will be on cannabis. Yeah, so sure. the, the next free seminar will be on July 19th. And that's in Ashland. That's going to be at in uh, at Southern Oregon University, okay. um, room three nineteen of the Stevenson Union mm-hmm. on campus, and we'll be specifically exploring um, common contaminants of uh, medicinal plants. The focus will largely be on cannabis, um, but all of the information applies to plants and spices in general. Yeah. Um, but we'll be talking about you know. How do a lot of these contaminations occur? How do you limit exposure mm-hmm. um, and sort of that sort of thing? And what's being tested for right now? And and okay. um, what are the health implications of some yeah. of the contaminants well, that may yeah. be found in this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's directly related. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So yeah, check that out. That'll be at SOU at Southern Oregon University at what room? 319? Yep. Yeah, you can go right down through the middle of town, and if you just pull off right in the first parking lot there where SOU is, you can just park there and just walk right up the the walkway there and get there. So, Jason, we appreciate it, and I'm glad you're on. You're more than welcome to be on the show again. I hope you are. In fact, you got so much to bring. So Sure, yeah, I hope to. Yeah. Anytime. Okay, thanks, Jason. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right. All right, so that was Jason and I at Kenevere Research. We had a good time. Uh, he had a lot of information to share. I really wish we would have had more time, but we had to cut a little bit short. Uh, we did decide, though, that we were going to possibly meet about once a month. Nice. And he could contribute some regular content, some regular information. And maybe we can next time go into something more specific so we can get you know, a lot more detail out of him. What did you think of the talk? I enjoyed it, actually. It was uh, really informative. It's good to know that there's a lot of cannabinoids a lot more cannabinoids word, yes it, it is especially after i've been saying cannabinoids for so long it's <laughs> yeah now i'm finding out the right way to say it <laughs> yeah um it's cool to know that that's in a lot more of our food than we know it is but at the same time the reason why we're having the deficiency is because of the vegetables well, losing we don't there. know exactly there's a lot of research that has to go into that but there's a lot of you know i theories being tossed around mm-hmm. about about that and yeah i mean i'm not surprised that like corn stuff like that is is uh not as as healthy for a number of reasons Mm -hmm. but um it's too bad that we haven't known or haven't had the proper research for this system that we have in our body right because i think that if we knew the right uh well how the processes work and stuff we could treat all these things a lot better yeah uh, so, um, but that's pretty much it for the show. I was going to wrap up real quick and just briefly talk just about the grow. Um, this week we, uh, I think next week we'll do Oregon Cannon News. We'll go ahead and deal with that next week. Uh, but because you know, there's a lot of good stuff that by then we'll we'll have out. We'll have a good segment for that. But mm-hmm. the uh, as far as the grow, we have not done the transplanting, so that's no. still on the list. But hey, it was the Fourth of July. You got to cut us some slack. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was a holiday. There was no way I was going to get out there and do that right away. But I got to get to it. Um, 
Notice that the neighbors are kicking in on the uh, gross scene, so they're adding to the pile, I guess, mm-hmm. in some form or fashion, <laughs> which is cool. You know, that's good that they uh, started uh, the home grow. Um, Outdoor know, home grow. Well, yeah, and, you know, of course, that's what we, you know, we support the home, the growers. You know, I think they only got a couple plants or something, but... You know that's that's good, and that's what we want to always talk about and promote here. We're obviously we don't grow twenty five plants or forty plants, or we're not a farm. Or, we do have dogs. We do. We have do need dogs. our yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah for sure. Uh, but um, we so, enjoy barbecues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We do, and yeah. So the. I guess what I'm saying is that we're all about the home grow and uh, the knowledge that we share is going to be mostly about home growing. Um, so, and you know, that's always a little different uh, than, than growing on a large scale, but what we're going to do is bring these farms on uh, like Jaybird and mm-hmm. have them talk about the things that they do on the large scale, get some information from them. Yeah. I guess some, get some uh, information on them and see what they do. I, I know a lot of them still use organic, you know, techniques and such. So we are learning about pesticide, proper pesticide use actually tomorrow. Coming up tomorrow is women grow this month for, yeah. Um, pesticides and regulations too yes. as well. So we're going to, the uh, when does it start October or is, is it just this next year? Did it say? As far as the regulations, yeah, I don't remember the exact date, but it's yeah, it's coming up October, November, uh, nice. and then it's going to be a good guidelines as to what you know is going to be allowed in there, what's not, um, and give us a good idea of what the government thinks is bad. Yep, <clears throat> three different speakers. Mm-hmm. Yep, in quite a long time, so I'm sure it's going to be full information. We'll definitely Five to bring eight thirty. Yeah, and we'll bring back the information on that as much as we can. I mean, this is obviously a paid event, so it's not like it's a full podcast in itself, but we still bring back all the information that we can and share that. Um, but yeah. Enjoy the experience because it is a lot of fun. I do. And I get to network <laughs> according to... And we get to go together this time. Yeah. And according to uh, Hermetic Genetics' wife, we're going to have the opportunity to sit down and talk with him at the event. Now, I don't know... <laughs> I don't know how that's going to go. I I don't know what kind of background noise they have or anything like that. Hopefully it's not too bad and we can sit down and get some decent audio from the guy uh, and see what he's all about. We'll try. We'll certainly try. If yep. we get it, we'll bring it back and we'll definitely cast that. Absolutely. But uh, but we'll see. I, I have not been to one of these events. So I have. Last time I enjoyed it. When you, well, when this last time did you... Uh, it was a different scenario. Was there scenario. areas we could have podcasted? Uh, this is a different scenario. That was at a vineyard. This place is going to uh, be at, um, I think, a hotel. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I guess, wherever they can get venues when they do host their yeah. events. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we can find a corner or something. But mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, we will do that. And then, yeah, I, I didn't mean to sidetrack, but. You know, so as far as the garden, and uh, we're trying to, I want to put it in the greenhouse this year. Mm-hmm. I really do. I thought about it and I just really like to do it. One, you know, we get a lot of heat, a lot of hot summertime. Mm-hmm. And being able to provide a cooler, a uh, little less intense heat, I think, is going to be better for mm-hmm. them. 
and um, also to for you know security and and all the other good reasons that we can use it for. Um, plus, I've really never done any kind of greenhousing, Mm-mm. so that'll be interesting. But we got him get him in the big pots. Uh, the once a week treat was just a simple neem this week. Um, wasn't sure I'd saw some funky yellow spots on the GSC and the LSD. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen it before. I looked it up and uh, kind of briefly mentioned it might be some kind of uh, fungus or something. And mm-hmm. I, But they look like they've come out of it. Well, you know, my feeling was I hadn't flushed them yet. And so I needed to flush them. So I flushed them really well uh, <clears throat> that same day that I noticed that. And yeah, they immediately came out of it. So it could have been a, minute, uh, uh, been a nutrient lockup or something or a burn or something that I... But they're pretty again. The yeah, dots it, are going it away. popped right out of it. So, uh, but I did spray this week with neem, uh, one for IPM, but also two, just a little extra insurance in case it was anything that we did have a funky spring. We always do, but it's, mm-hmm. we had a, for a little while there anyway, we had the, the rain and then the, the heat and then rain and then heat. And that just is a breeder for mold and fungus and mildew and crap like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I did that. But, and then just a light spray of my, oh, I love my kelp. So, <laughs> um, but they're looking a lot better now. So yeah. Anyway, that's really it for this show. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Jason and Kenavir Labs, or excuse me, Kenavir Research Labs. Uh, you can look them up at www.kenavirresearch.com. They have all their education links right there on their homepage. There's a ton of information. You can find them on Twitter. You can also find them uh, uh, and all their information um, through uh, the Twitter. He, uh, I know Jason uh, tweets all of the uh, free conference or free seminars and free events and nice. and even the ones that they're charging for their courses. So take a look at those, and uh, we in, you know encourage you to come out to the free ones. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take it a step further, you can always look at those uh, paid courses. Events. Well, they're paid events, I, th- I believe, but they're also a lot of them on there are courses which you can actually take. He talked a little bit about, but you can take and you get, uh, you know, a sort of certificate of completion um, from you know a recognized uh, organization nice. in the state here. So, it, but he goes into more details. But check that out. It's really cool, and we'll be talking more with with Jason. So hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.